CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time at the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Monday, January 15th, 2024. Uh, freezing cold day. Uh, the headline on the bright one says cold. Yeah, it is cold. Plus, I have a flat tire. That's a whole other story. You don't need to be on tail of woes. It's also officially Martin Luther King Day. Uh, and it's a day uh, we celebrate the legacy of one of the greatest Americans who ever lived, definitely arguably the greatest American of the 20th century, who, of course, uh, preached love, peace and understanding, fairness, equity, an end of poverty, an end of racism, uh, and uh, paid for it with his life. Because if you preach too much in this country for peace, equity, uh, and an end of racism and to end poverty, People don't like it. Yeah, I came to my beloved city of Chicago in 1966, and how was he greeted? They hit him in the head with a rock. But enough of my cynicism, enough of my jaded uh, view of the world. I believe people can change. Unfortunately, I just received a copy of a photograph from Houston, Texas. This arrived literally minutes before I began this recording. Uh, it's from the front, a newspaper article in Texas, uh, and it shows a banner on a highway that says, Make America White Again, and it has a swastika. And next to it is a man waving a swastika flag. We have a lot of work to do in this country, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we <laughs> really live up to uh, Martin Luther King's um, legacy and what he was trying to get us to understand and do and how we, he wanted us to live. But man, that is so deep and so twisted in so many ways. Uh, and 2024 is such an important uh, year uh, electoral, electorally. And um, wow, just the juxtaposition of the Chicago Sun-Times with the photo of honor Martin Luther King and this photograph out of Texas realizes, makes him realize how much work we have to do. All right, enough of my uh, jaded observations about humanity. Uh, in 2024, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and away we go. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, hello, Ben. Uh, this is Clayton Harris III. I am candidate for Cook County uh, State's Attorney. I'm very happy to be here. 
Yes, Cook County State's Attorney, and uh, it's your uh, first visit to the Ben Jarofsky Show, so welcome. First but not last, thank you very much. Okay, I'll take you on that one. When you're elected State's Attorney, I expect you to drop in every six months. Uh, We'll see. Uh, So anyway, thank you for taking time um, uh, for coming to my show, and thank you to Joanna Klonsky for setting this up. Good friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, Uh, so Clayton, let's just start. Um, with a little introduction. I think a lot of Chicagoans don't know who you are, don't know your name. Uh, So, and like I said, this is your first visit uh, to my show. Uh, So let's just start with some basics. Uh, And the first question anybody in Chicago asks anybody is, where are you from? I am a military brat. So I moved every three years of my life. Uh, Graduated high school in Germany, went to undergrad in Tennessee, Law school in D.C., uh, grad school here in Chicago. Wow. Okay, so, Clayton, let's pause and think about this. And again, not dumping all my uh, jaded views of the world on you. You've been all over the world. You've been all over the United States. You could have lived anywhere, and yet you chose to live in the city of Chicago. Either you need your head examined or you saw something in Chicago that really attracted you to the, our, this city. What? Which one was it? Well, since I was negative 30 this morning, or felt like negative 30 this morning when I got up, right, left the house, um, it, it wasn't the weather necessarily. Sometimes it is. You know, what it was is, and I think you can probably attest to this, you said you came here in 66. There's something about the city, and, and, and it grabs hold of you. Uh, and, and then once it has you, you just know that this is the right place to be. A lot of different things converge here uh, in the Windy City uh, uh, in Chicago and in Cook County. And um, I came here in 99, right after I graduated law school. I actually came here, uh, Dick Devine's office, and I prosecuted. Um, And I fell in love with the city. Um, And I I haven't looked back. Uh, Just for the record, uh, yes, my family moved to Evanston in 66. I was just a kid. I had nothing to do with it, ladies and gentlemen, all right? I did not officially move to Chicago to 1981, but I'm not running for Cook County State's Attorney. Nobody cares about my history in the city of Chicago. Uh, All right, so it is King's Day, uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, and we're confronted by so many different contradictions uh, on King Day uh, because, obviously, as I pointed out, the legacy that Martin Luther King lived, uh, what he wanted uh, from government, what he wanted from society was we've not done a very good job, in my humble opinion, of living up to. So when you're running for uh, Cook County State's Attorney, which is the leader of the criminal justice system, uh, the chief prosecutor uh, in Cook County, what are some of the goals uh, that you have uh, if, if you are elected to be like to uphold uh, the King legacy, go ahead. I think that uh, that's a great question. And, and being on your show today um, helps me or allows me to highlight uh, that question that you're asking. The goal is simple, uh, is that we can do more than one thing at a time. And what we need to do is we need to focus on safety and justice. We can do both. It's not an either or proposition. A lot of times when people are looking at uh, the state of what's happening and, and how it's happening and how they feel or whatnot, they start screaming, safety, safety, safety. And when people scream safety, 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 a lot of times it's easy to infringe upon justice and, you know, and maybe put that to the side. We don't have to do that. They are not mutually exclusive. They require one another. And I think that this is absolutely what uh, Dr. King 
was preaching about is that, you know, justice prevails. And when we're a just society, we are a safer society. A safe society is a just society. And I think that that is one of the things that um, epitomizes his legacy and what we struggle to live up to um, in our society. And how do you think Chicago has done uh, uh, in that arena of making sure we're safe and just. And you, and keep in mind, uh, you've been in the city since 99. So you've, it's been 20, you've seen a lot, 24 years. Uh, you've seen, uh, oh my goodness, high crime rates here in the city, uh, lots of shootings in the city. Uh, and then on the, uh, on the flip side, you see things like uh, Laquan McDonald video being buried. So when you combine it all, how do you think Chicago is done uh, in this uh trying to balance justice uh, and safety? I think that's a, uh, um, an interesting question because I think uh, Chicago and, and Cook County is a microcosm and it kind of reflects America at times. So I think at times uh, uh, Chicago and, and Cook County has, has done great uh, and other times it's done horrible. I mean, all you have to do is look at the legacy of a John Burge you know, when, when we look at it, but then you juxtapose it now on the Safety Act and eliminating cash bail and being one of the first jurisdictions in the nation to do that. Um, I teach policing race in America at the University of Chicago. When we talk about these things, I actually ask, you know, sometimes I feel like America, she struggles with herself and how she deals with safety and justice, right? I feel like she does things that are totally uh, opposite of what she says she wants to do, or she'll do things, you know, that's totally opposite of what she has done before. And I kind of see uh, uh, Cook County and Chicago the same way. I think that uh, um, some of the rhetoric is absolutely what you want to hear, you know, uh, it's the right thing. But when you, you, you look at some of the actual activities that have gone on, you're just like, well, how can this stand? So we look at um, um, ebbs and flow, I think, and, and, and what I want to do, uh, if I'm elected, what I want to do or to continue to advocate for is that we can do both. It's a balance. And when we get that balance, the wave, the wave is a correct wave and it moves forward mm-hmm. without the ebbs and flow. We continue to move forward. Now, you mentioned that you were a military brat, uh, and I don't want to reduce you to a social stereotype, but. Pretty much every military brat uh, I've ever met or uh, seen on TV. And for some reason, I'm thinking of Shaquille O'Neal right now. I don't know if you know that Shaquille O'Neal's father uh, was military. He was a military brat. He moved all around the world, around the country uh, when he was growing up. Uh, But so many of them uh, have this reverence for law and order uh, and have this reverence for uh, doing things the right way. You don't have to be told. You don't have to be coddled. I don't want to be coddled. Uh, and uh, so is that, do you have some of that in you as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was uh, I was raised with discipline and respect for authority. My dad was an officer in the United States Army. Uh, we knew anything we did inside the house, definitely we got, uh, but anything outside of the house, it reflected on him, right? And his uh, uh, um, ability to lead. And, you know, the, the thought process was, is how is he going to lead a battalion if he can't maintain discipline in his house with his kids. So this is how we were brought up. Now, I, I tell people in, in, in my house, discipline was swift, severe, and rarely had to be repeated. That was just how I grew up. Now, I have two little boys, my wife and I, here on the south side of Chicago. 
We also believe in discipline and respect for authority. We're raising them a little bit different. It, it frustrates my father still to this day a little bit. But the, the, the lessons are the same. The lessons are the same is that, you know, we have to do, uh, uh, we have to be disciplined. We have to respect authority. But I'm also a Howard Law grad. I got my Howard Law pen on today. Um, and, and I grew up in the law being able to challenge correctly, right? You know, you're supposed to challenge injustices when you see it. And again, this is a perfect day for us to talk about this. You're supposed to be able to challenge uh, correctly when you see things aren't working the way that they're supposed to work or the way that, you know, we're, we're, we're told they're going to work. Yeah. Well, so to this point, uh, a lot of military brats that I know I have had that moment where they realize the world is not exactly like uh, dad said it was. Uh, So, for instance, you respect law and order, but law and order doesn't respect you back. Uh, Then what do you do? Have you ever had a moment like that where you encountered law and order acting irrationally or illogically or uh, in a bigoted manner, et cetera, and so forth? I have. And and, and, um, a couple of these obviously were things that I observed. And then a couple of them like personally happened. You know, I think one of the things that was extremely eye opening was um, um, when you look at the Rodney King incident and everything that happened there. That was one of the things where I felt like all they had to do and I'm dating myself, Ben. Right. But all they had to do is put the VHS tape (laughs) in the recorder and play it for the jury. And there's no question about what happened. It doesn't matter how guilty he was or was not, right? To get beat like that on the side of the road, that's just, it's, it's not what's supposed to happen at all. It's not excusable. And yet they were acquitted. You know, when we look at things like that, I have been pulled over uh, a couple of times. Uh, and um, the times I'm talking about being pulled over, when I know that the only reason I was pulled over is because I was black. It's happened uh, once here and twice in Tennessee. Uh, and I went to school in Tennessee. Um, the difference was, you know, because how I was brought up with discipline and respect for authority, I just knew better than to say anything, no matter how frustrated or, or, or upset I was inside. And it's extremely humiliating. Some people might not understand how humiliating it is to be pulled over when you know you haven't done anything wrong. And then you know that the only reason you're being pulled over is because of the color of your skin. It's very humiliating. Um, but in that moment, I knew better than to say anything or to pop off or to do like that. I just grinned and, and, and took it. Um, and you shouldn't have to do that. But uh, that's that's occurred. Matter of fact, here in Chicago, it happened to me on my first day going to 26 in California. I, um, that Friday I was in traffic. That Monday when I got pulled over, I was heading to narcotics. It was my first day. And I'm absolutely convinced. Absolutely convinced. I entered 26 in California as an ASA and not a defendant because I have a badge. And that shouldn't happen. Wait a minute. Let's get to So what year was this? Your first day uh, as a assistant state's attorney. When was that? What year was that? So that's 99. But this is my first day going to 26 in Cal. So I started in appeals and traffic. So this is when I jumped over to narcotics. What year was this? This would have been 2000. And someone, and by chance, you were pulled over on your way to 26 in California? Yeah, that morning. Absolutely. Uh, and I remember, I asked the officer, he came up and, uh, you know, I said, uh, is there a problem, you know, officer? And he's like, you blew that light back there. I was like, no, I didn't. He's like, yes, you did. And I said, I was like, well, I'm not going to argue with you. But, you know, and he's like, license registration. So I, I get it. But uh, um, this is, this is armor for, I had a badge 
and my license is behind my badge on purpose so that when I pull out that and pull out and he asked me and I told him I was the assistant state's attorney, I was going, goes back there, runs my uh, information and he comes back and it's a little, you know, uh, you know, still gave me a ticket too, by the way. Uh, he was just <laughs> like, well, you know, you uh, 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 ran that uh, light back there. I was like, I didn't. And I was like, I'm not. And I said again, I'm like, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm not going to admit that I did something that I didn't do. Okay. Um, and, and so you had to pay the ticket. Uh, I did. Uh, you didn't contest the ticket. Uh, you know, it was, it, it becomes right. You know, and here I am an ASA that was in traffic that thought that, that, that previous Friday, I absolutely could have gone in there and did it, but you know, and right. What's, what's the point? All right, so I'm going to put my bias uh, out on the table, and then you respond. Um, touch wood, I've had very few encounters uh, with law enforcement. The, my op- my eyes were opened uh, when uh, I did a story about uh, uh, a case regarding people who were on trial uh, for uh, marijuana. It wasn't possession of marijuana, of setting up a lab where they were going to uh, manufacture marijuana and sell it. And this was in about 2010. So this was, uh, I was really heavy into writing articles about un- how unfair the system was in terms of like white people got to smoke reefer, black people got arrested for it. That was like my obsession, Clayton. I was utterly obsessed with that. Like the light went on and I, and my encounter, just everything about 26 and Cal, Going through the metal detector, the the the, the guards that greeted you, the d- demeanor in court, uh, the the like the judges are so, so like <laughs> their tempers were so short, and the state's attorney, I thought like completely manufactured a case out of nothing, and it just seemed like the whole system was so oppressive. I had a freaking headache. I couldn't take enough. I was like two weeks in this trial. I go, that's it. I hope I never have to go even as a reporter through this system again. So you're, you're in the midst of the same system uh, as a member of the system, as a prosecutor. How did you not have a headache? How did you keep from getting like sick to your stomach by what just, just the sort of the casualness, authoritarian nastiness of the whole matter? You know, that, that that's an interesting take. And what I will tell you is part of the reason why I felt it was time for me to leave when I did is part of the reason why I'm coming back at this time. And it's because of that. Sitting in arraignment. So that day when I, I told you I got pulled over, I was going to narcotics. Um, so um, I was in narcotics and then ultimately in special prosecutions narcotics. So what I can tell you, like in arraignments one day, I'm, 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 I'm standing there and I'm looking back at all of the defendants. I'm looking back at all of the defendants and they all look just like me, 100% like me. If that wasn't enough, I can tell you about two days too. On what, what, what happened? And this just drives it home to me on what's going on. And when we talk about racial equity, when we talk about over-policing, when we talk about these different things, because now I've been teaching this uh, uh, when I teach policing race uh, in, in America, black, white, and blue. I'm standing there one day. And I have uh, the officer to my right, the defendants to my left, you know, and we're in front of the judge and putting on the case. And I asked the officer to describe the defendant. Officer's looking straight for it, never, ever turns. He's like, yeah, the defendant, African-American male to my left, standing about six feet tall. He's bald-headed, goatee, about 180, 85 pounds. I'm standing there. I was like, well, you just described me. And he turned and looked at me like that. 
And he kind of leaned forward. He's like, oh, and the IDOC jumpsuit. And I was standing there. I was like, wow. And, you know, and, and I don't know, and I can't remember who this officer was, but it was like he never even saw, right? Right. And then the other time, and this one really brings it home, was same courtroom, same court, uh, 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 just everything. I'm doing arraignments, and I'm the defendant standing to my left. His name is Clayton Harris. Clayton Harris. I mean, it just doesn't get any more surreal than, than, than that. So my issue was what the system looked like, what it was going through. You know, I told you I was a Howard Law grad. You know, what am I doing here? I absolutely believe in the mission of the state's attorney and the state's attorney's office. I have zero problem with the mission of the state's attorney's office. It is designed to ensure that safety is upheld, you know, that people uh, uh, who have done uh, uh, wrong are held accountable. But I absolutely believe that the state's attorney's office, with that mission, it's like we're missing that, but people need to be held accountable appropriately. So that doesn't mean everybody goes to jail. It doesn't mean that everyone has to serve time. It means that we're supposed to ensure that there is a restoration for the community, a rehabilitation for the offender, and that the offended is made whole as much as possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, a conviction. It doesn't necessarily mean jail. It means accountability. And that's what I'm really trying to run on. So that's why I, I, I've come back. I read, uh, I, I'm a voracious reader. I feel like uh, my education continues. Um, I've read a lot. I've, I, I've, I, I've taught now. Um, and, and, and I've gone through how really race intersects with uh, uh, policing. Um, I absolutely know. It's not even that I believe. I know there are excellent police officers out there. There are excellent police officers out there. The majority of the police officers. So let's just be clear about that. But what I also know is that the community that's in most need of good policing is the black community and the black community is the least likely to call the police. So somehow we have to rebuild the trust throughout this whole system. And I think that the state's attorney is an integral part in, 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 in restoring that trust and ensuring that safety and justice are, are, are paramount and for, foremost. All right. Uh, we are now at year Eight, the end of year eight of the Kim Fox uh, tenure as Cook County State's Attorney. Uh, and many of the things that you were saying, Kim Fox was saying when she ran for the first time uh, in 2016. Seems like ancient history, uh, Clayton, but uh, it was already eight years ago. Uh, 2016 this is in the aftermath of the Laquan McDonald scandal. By that, I mean uh, withholding the video evidence of a police shooting that had was unjustified, withholding that evidence. Uh, and the, the explanation offered was absolutely, <laughs> to this day, has people's eyes rolling, that there was an ongoing investigation. That ongoing investigation, Clayton, you know, was almost a year old. It's like the most painstaking investigation in the history of investigation. It just feeds all the cynicism, Clayton, that I really try to withstand. But it's hard not to be cynical about a system that says we're still investigating a shooting that took place uh, in, November, in October of 2014, uh, in, uh, uh, one year later. Uh, the backlash to Kim Fox and what she was elected on 
I think is very is still very strong in many ways. So you talked about the contradictions or what seems like a contradiction between standing up uh, for protecting for safety uh, and for justice. We are now at the end of the Kim Fox era. Do you think that the voters of Cook County are just exhausted or uh, tired of the whole concept of being fair and they just want people locked up and the key thrown away and they don't care about, like if they're withholding evidence uh, that the police did the shooting? Have we gone back in time? Go. Yeah, we have not. We have not. Um, and I've been all around this great big uh, county of ours, and it's extremely diverse. And what I will tell you is that um, um, their thought process is not that we need to be unjust in, in doing this. Uh, it's that um, they want safety and justice. So I think that what we need to do is make sure that we're telling both stories uh, simultaneously and letting them know that when we talk about exonerations, that remind people that these individuals never should have been in jail, never should have been in jail. And when you have a false confession and someone in jail falsely for a crime that they didn't commit, it's not just first and foremost, but it's not safe because that individual who did commit the crime is still out there. So it, it's not that what I'm hearing, what I'm getting is that people feel unsafe, right? So we have to address that. And they feel like what's happening is that people are not being held accountable for their actions or their misdeeds. So I think that the narrative has to change, that this is going on, that people are being held accountable. I remind people, you know, about the size of Cook County and the state's attorney's office being the second largest in the country. Right. But I tell them that this 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 county, this this office, it does big things. And we talk about safety and justice. And I remind people that this is the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. This is the office that prosecuted John Wayne Gacy and Hadia Pendleton's murderer, as well as exonerated over 250 individuals. We can do both. It's not an either or. So I don't think that people are 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 trying to go backwards and just lock them up, lock them up, lock them up. I've heard it, but I don't think that's the majority. I think truly when I hear it and I push back a little bit, people are like, well, I don't want anyone innocent going to jail. I don't want someone's rights being trampled on. I don't want, you know, uh, 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 a confession being coerced out of a juvenile, uh, you know, and, and then that individual goes, because it doesn't make us safe and it's certainly not just. So I think that we have to resist the narrative that, um, in order for us to be safe, we have to suspend justice. There was a narrative that was pushed pretty hard over post uh, George Floyd that somehow or other Kim Fox is responsible uh, for the rise in crime. And I personally pushed back on the, that narrative. I thought it was completely unfair. Uh, but nonetheless, it was prevalent. Uh, she was able to win re-election despite it. But it, it exists to this day. Uh, do you think that narrative uh, is unfair, was unfair to Kim Fox? Absolutely. Uh, one individual is not responsible for crime uh, increasing nor decreasing in there. So I think that uh, especially with our system, it's the totality of actors um, that go through. It's law enforcement. Uh, it's definitely a community. It's community activists. It's our elected officials. We all have uh, uh, a hand in crime going up and or down. Uh, and it's how we look at it, how we address it, and then how we move forward. But I do think that uh, facts matter as well. Well, uh, so 
One of the interesting uh, dynamics right now going on in terms of uh, the sheer number of crime, and Chicago is struggling with this, I don't think, I haven't seen an adequate explanation yet, uh, is that shootings are down, which is good news. Homicides are down, which is good news. Uh, Robberies are up, which is bad news. Uh, And generally, the way that gets played out in the media is to, to (laughs) I just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh at my media, but my beloved media is pretty much worthless in so many ways, Clayton, uh, but is to ignore the fact or just push to the side. Yeah, uh, shootings are down, but what about these robberies? Uh, so when you look at the situation, do you have an explanation why uh, one thing is down, shootings, and the other thing is up, robberies? I don't know that I know the the explanation on what's going on. I don't know if we're coming out of the tail end of COVID. And because of that, you know, there's more seemingly desperation uh, that may be going on. I know that the data definitely shows that crime tends, tends, and we're talking on King Day, but crime tends to uh, follow poverty. And poverty uh, um, can look like race uh, on what's going on. You know, when we talk about the March on Washington, right? That was a poor people's march, you know, that uh, uh, Dr. King was uh, embarking on. So when we go back to your question about why robberies are going up right there, I'm not 100 percent sure on what the data will look like or looks like coming out of COVID. If that's the reason why uh, robberies have gone up. What I will say is I know that robberies haven't only gone up in Cook County. They've gone up around the nation. So um, there there has to be something nationally or a trend nationally that's going on that has to at least start to explain. Well, have you seen anything, any strategy that police and prosecutors have followed that, in your humble opinion, uh, has lowered crime? Well, I think that the accountability aspect of it, uh, making sure that people, when they are uh, arrested, that they're charged correctly, uh, and then that the prosecutions move forward based on the correct charges that are there. I really do think that that, is what's going on. And when you, <clears throat> so, and, and I've been warned not to get professorial and whatnot, so let me sit back up. But <clears throat> when you look at the circumstances of crime that's going on and someone is arrested and they're charged accordingly and appropriately, and then that case moves forward appropriately, you know, the majority of people in the communities, especially the communities where the majority of these crimes are, are occurring right there, a lot is known on who's doing what. So when you see that it is done correctly, this individual's rights, even if they're guilty or whatnot, this individual's rights were not stomped on, trampled, they were not abused uh, in, in, in or during the process, and that the, the system worked the way that it was. It starts to, again, rebuild trust. And when trust is built back up, then you have more communication and collaboration from the community with law enforcement. We have more communication and collaboration with the community and law enforcement. And law enforcement is communicating with, you know, the state's attorney's office. The state's attorney's office is looking at the community as well. And we move forward appropriately. Then you, it, it builds upon itself. It's the inverse of what has been going on when there's been abuse. You know, people know that things are going on, but they're uh, hesitant to call the police because while they want crime to stop, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't want this individual killed. They just want them to be held accountable for what is going on. They don't want this individual abused or someone else in their sphere also abused. They just want the individual who's committing these infractions to be held accountable appropriately. But when you don't believe that that's going to happen, then you step back, right? 
And when you step back and you're not collaborating right there, crime is increasing on what's going on. So to your question about why I think that crime is starting to go down, I think that we are when, when, when we approach it appropriately, correctly, when safety and justice are, 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 are foremost, first and foremost on there, you start to rebuild trust. And as that trust rebuilds, now, there's another aspect to it, too. And one of the things that I'm absolutely looking forward to as the uh, next uh, Cook County State's Attorney, there's a difference between being in a community and being part of a community. So big fan of community policing, big fan of the restorative justice community courts, big fan of putting prosecutors also back into the communities in which that the, the, from which and where they will be working. And that helps to rebuild trust. When you know the community uh, uh, that you're working, in. even as prosecutors, trust me, I've gotten people that are happy. You know, they're like, oh, we're glad that you're running for state's attorney because, you know, we want safe neighborhoods. We deserve safe neighborhoods as well. So we want people to help be held accountable. And people have told me this. They're like, but I'm scared that, you know, this kid, I've had someone tell me. So-and-so is a knucklehead and they need to stop, but I don't want that person killed. And I'm afraid if we call the cops that that could happen. Or so you know, this is this is what we're dealing with. Oh, uh, wait a minute! I just want to make sure I understood that last anecdote. They're afraid that if they call the police, the person they're calling the police about will be killed by the police. Is that? What, I just want to make sure I understood what you were saying in that last anecdote. That is what I've gotten. That they're they're more worried that this individual, even though they know that they're doing wrong, okay, may be killed or right. And then there's also the fear that uh, uh, you will be killed if you turn against an individual. Do you follow what I just told you? That, that Absolutely. And that that is an issue, too. You know, and that's why you have to have this trust that, you know, if you go forward with this. Right. And this individual now is taken in that the appropriate charges are and they're going to be held accountable. So, yeah. So let me uh, ask you what I think of uh, about the curious contradiction. Uh, in Chicago uh, and in Cook County, but mainly in Chicago. Uh, so Chicago, when it comes to law enforcement, the, the official proclamation uh, is that you should work with the police. And if you see a crime committed, that you should be unafraid to stand up and report the crime. And if that means uh, telling on uh, or identifying somebody who did the wrongdoing, uh, then you should do that because that's the only way uh, that you can guarantee or hope to have some sense uh, that uh, the wrong will be punished. So that's the official line, Clayton, in the city of Chicago. The unofficial line is best summarized by what happened when Danny Solis, Alderman Danny Solis of the 25th Ward, wore a wire that brought down Ed Burke. How did the Chicago City Council respond? The Alderman respond? They got mad at Solis. They called him a rat. They called him a snitch. And they gave Ed Burke a standing ovation. Clayton, I'm not making this up. You can go look it up. They gave Ed Burke a standing ovation. I'm like, how are we supposed to have law enforcement in the city of Chicago when the official position is that you should stand up and do the right thing and tattletale on the guy who lives across the street from you when our own aldermen, our own law and order aldermen are applauding the wrongdoer and denouncing the quote unquote snitch? Your thoughts. We have to change the narrative that when people stand up and do what's right, they're the ones who are supposed to be applauded. They're the ones who are supposed to be uh, revered in there because this is how you empower more people to do the right thing. And we need to make sure that all witnesses, 
understand uh, that we're going to protect them and make sure that they are safe uh, uh, and that there's no reprisal for doing the right thing. Well, so that you agree with me that we should put a statue up honoring Danny Solis. Just kidding, Clayton. That was just a joke. Uh, even I don't think we should go that far. I don't know. That's a tough. Uh, I hear what you said. You said you made the right answer. But the contradiction between uh, what people say and what people do is so immense. Uh, that's part of why there's such cynicism. Uh, and uh, and then the other reason there's cynicism is that uh, these elections get very, uh, how do I put this, hostile. So you're right now in a relatively uh, safe zone talking to me because I absolutely believe in what Kim Fox is preaching. I was very critical of her for how she handled Jesse Smollett. But basically, I agreed with what motivated her to run and what drove her, I saw for eight years. I watched her get hammered, hammered by the Fraternal Order Police, by aldermen, uh, right sort of on the right, if you call of them in, in the city of Chicago, by the editorial boards of Chicago, uh, and um, many citizens of Chicago. Somehow or other, they thought that just articulating a sense that we should have be just and fair in our prosecutions and not just routinely lock people up uh, was leading to crime. You're going to be heading uh, into a very intense uh, battle in March for uh, in the Democratic primary, and absolutely everything they could throw against you, they will throw against you, and they will blame you uh, for crime in Chicago because, I don't know, because the CTU has endorsed you, because Tony Preckwinkle has endorsed you. I don't know. I'm unf- I should know this. If Kim, I don't know if Kim Fox has endorsed you, uh, but that's Tony Preckwinkle's endorsement is good enough. It might as well be Kim Fox's. So how are you going to deal with that when you get into the cauldron of the election and they start making you out to be uh, responsible for crime? I think you just have to, uh, I, what I will do and what I'm going to have to do is just uh, face it head on, head on, you know, uh, um, facts, data, you know, and I know uh, in today's world, sometimes facts and data just don't matter, right? This is like, well, whatever, but facts, data, and uh, a strong re- resolve. I am a man of faith. Um, I believe that this is where I'm supposed to be at this point in time. And because of that, I have to maintain my faith and make sure that I'm staying the course. And if I'm talking about safety and justice, then I have to be about safety and justice, no matter what's being thrown at me politically, personally, anything like that. It is keeping your eyes on the prize that the goal is justice. Goal is justice, no matter what. And, you know, people aren't going to like me. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with it. some of the people who, who, who I, I, I probably will feel like should be a hundred percent behind me may not be because I make one decision. And then some people I would never expect to be behind me might be because I made a different decision. And what I have to do is not get too happy or down on either one of those, you know, with no matter what's going on and stay the course and stay focused. I think that for me, in, in, in continuing to tell the story about safety and justice being linked hand in hand, that they go with one another, that they're not in either war, uh, holding the assistant state's attorneys and their world class uh, uh, attorneys in the office already, but holding them 
to the standard that I know that they can do. You know, when we talk about safety and justice, I think we rebuild trust. I think that we, 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 we start to talk and tackle not just the issues. And again, I'm going to go professor on you right here. So when I teach uh, how to write good public policy, what normally happens is people address the issues. That's what's going on. Oh, because it's flashy. It's right there. But you're not addressing the problem that caused the issues. And you can solve an issue for a moment and it fades away, but the problem is still there. And, and, and what happens, and I say this a lot, is that we tend to revolve around problems, but we do not resolve problems. So when you talk about shootings, right, mass shootings, oh, that day when it happens, in the first couple of days, we're all right here, right here, right here, right here. We're close, close, close. But as time slips, we get away and we're revolving around the problem and we haven't resolved. And then what happens? There's another shooting and we're back at the same and we haven't resolved anything because we're looking at issues. So I think with my administration, we're really going to focus on telling the story about, hey, this is the problem. Now, some of those problems aren't going to be a state's attorney's issue, right, or power of the state's attorney. But I will make everyone know that the sphere of influence of the state's attorney goes well beyond the arrest, right, and sentencing or whatnot. And that's how I think we start to rebuild trust in the community, how we start to collaborate with all stakeholders, and how we start to get to a better situation. All right, before I let you go on with your day, I, just, I need to point out uh, that uh, while we're having this conversation at the start of 2024, we're about a year into the end of cash bail. I think it's, has that been right? My, I've lost track of time. Uh, and uh, uh, reefer's been legal for, I forget how long, since we legalized cannabis. Sorry, cannabis. Uh, and, um, and both of these were opposed by mainstream law enforcement. I really can't understand why they were against the legalization of marijuana. I can't understand why they're against either one, but neither are there. Uh, so I just need to get this uh, from you. Uh, are you. Do you view those as progressive good things, good changes, and that society is stronger and better now? Or do you share some of the discontent of state's attorneys throughout the state of Illinois and law enforcement types throughout the state of Illinois are still denouncing both uh, the end of uh, cash bail and the legalization of marijuana. Go ahead. No, both of those have uh, made us a safer society, <clears throat> both of them, um, especially when you start talking about no cash bail. You know, what you, you remember what the, 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 the narrative was. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. As soon as this goes forward, uh, rapists and murderers are going to be out. You know, it's going to be anarchy. It's going to be what, what, what they say. It's going to be the purge. You know, like, uh, like, yeah. And what has happened? None of that. And look, and, and in fact, the data shows that we are safer uh, because of no cash bail. All no cash bail did was it stopped criminalizing poverty. That's all it did. But in the infinite wisdom of the legislators, and they worked with law enforcement, right, with victims, advocates, and everything like that, it actually made us safer. So it stopped criminalizing poverty, and it made us safer because people who should be detained now were being detained regardless of how much money they had. I told you I went through narcotics and special prosecutions dealing with a lot of gangbangers and everything like that. Well, they knew the system. They knew they had five felonies in their background, four misdemeanors and missed court four or five times. You know, and when I read that in front of the judge, the judge would take the the, the allegations of the case, uh, their background and say, OK, because of that, you know, uh, uh, you have a ten thousand dollar D bond. 
They're laughing. I got $10,000 banked right there. And they're back on the street. And this is the individual that shouldn't be out there. Same with the domestic violence individual, right? Finally, this woman has the wherewithal, the police were called or whatnot, or the strength to finally stand up. But her, you know, there's no background with this individual. Again, they can pay, but these individuals are the ones who should be detained as opposed to someone who might be accused of a lower level, nonviolent offense, who now maybe isn't guilty at all, but they've been accused of it, but cannot afford the $100, $100, excuse me, to get out. And now their job's in jeopardy. And with their job's in jeopardy, their mortgage payment's in jeopardy, you know, and then we start to cycle down because now we're forcing this individual, or at least pushing, pushing this individual into a situation that might not have been of their doing. Um, so it's made us safer. And the data is already shown about that. And then the criminalization of marijuana is just, you know, that was that was racially biased. We understand that. And everybody, you know, the data shows, let me just put it that way. The data shows that that was so racially biased. I mean, when you start and you go back and you look at the history of the war on drugs, you know, and whether you want to say it started with Nixon or whatnot, Nixon's own uh, uh, AG said, we made it up. It was a lie. Actually, drug use in America got worse when they declared a war on drugs than it was before. There was not a major problem. I'm not going to say there wasn't a problem. But the war on drug was a made-up one, and it was used to control African-Americans and hippies, uh, as they were labeled at, at that time. Mainly African-Americans, because once the hippies cut their hair, they were free to smoke as much reefer as they wanted. Don't get me started, Clayton Harris. Uh, and I did not know that. Which attorney general? Do you know which attorney general said that? From uh, I had to pull up his name. Was uh, it John like, Mitchell? I'm trying to think of the, I'm going back in time. I'm much older than you, Clayton, so I lived through this stuff. I'm trying to think which attorney. It was probably a sister. I can't imagine John Mitchell ever saying anything remotely like that. John Mitchell was the attorney general uh, under. Maybe it was uh, an attorney general. Who was it? Warren Drugs. Uh, Pull this up. This is called fact checking in real time with the Ben yeah, Jarowski show. Uh, uh, we'll we'll figure figure that out later. Uh, but uh, I get the point. The point is uh, that uh, the war on drugs. Was... Assistant to the president for domestic affairs, uh, John er- uh, John Ehrlichman. Oh, Ehrlichman. Oh my Ehrlichman, God! Don't get yeah, me yeah, started, Clayton, on John Ehrlichman. Ehrlichman, yeah. uh, Holman, and De- Dean. It all it fits a pattern, if you know what I mean. Gil Scott Harris. Uh, all right, Clayton Harris, thank you very much uh, for taking time from your campaign to come on my humble little podcast. I uh, wish you the best of luck. And uh, I just, this is me speaking for myself. I do believe, I hope uh, that the Cook County State's Attorney just continues the ideals. All right. Now, I know some of my listeners, they're all still tripping on Justice Smollett, but the ideals of, uh, I know. Do you have any thoughts on Justice Smollett, Clayton Harris? I've mentioned him twice now. Do you have any thoughts whatsoever on what went down with the prosecution of Justice Smollett? None whatsoever. You know, know, you're right. It was just a ridiculous situation all the way around. One thing uh, Clayton Harris's uh, military father told him to do was not say anything dumb when you're on the Ben Jarowski show. Uh, And uh, (laughs) he took that advice to heart. Uh, anyway, I just hope that the uh, that that basic concept, the idea that uh, safety and justice have to be balanced in prosecution continues. I hope that uh, continues because I've watched it abused. Uh, Clayton, I told you I've been living in the Chicago area since 1966. Let's pause to think about that. And 
it's not a very good track record uh, in terms of criminal justice and that balance that you've been articulating and hammering home. So I'm hoping that continues and does not end uh, in 2024. Yeah. So the best of luck to you, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, I enjoyed this a lot. I will be back whenever you ask. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I think Kim Fox may have said the same thing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Come on, Kim. Oh, I'm just teasing. Uh, all right, Clayton Harris, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 